Our uh, Wednesday conversation with our good friend Andy Brickley is sponsored by Norfolk Power Equipment and Kubota Tractor. Visit Norfolk Power today to enjoy money-saving year-end Kubota deals. Check out NorfolkPower.com for more information. Andy Brickley joins us on the AT&T hotline. Get it faster with 4G, AT&T, rethink possible. I see you were able to set your alarm accurately and get up in time this morning, Brick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I'm a lot better at it now than I'm a little older. I certainly had my issues when I was 19 and 20 years old myself. Did you miss a few breakfast meetings? Uh, I missed a fir- few curfews, I know that. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> now, I don't know if you've been listening on your iPhone app, but Boston has uh, is trending toward Tyler Sagan getting benched last night. And to be honest, Brick, when I heard you and Jack talking about it, that he got benched for, for sleeping in, I said, wow, that's a little harsh. Now we come to find out in the postgame comments from Claude that he's done it more than a few times. Teaching moment for Claude Julian and Tyler Sagan? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, you never, it's never an easy decision, but this was a decision that had to be made. Uh, it's my understanding that generally they have, uh, when they're on the road, they try to have uh, a breakfast set up for the guys. Uh, yesterday, I believe it was anytime between uh, 8.30 and 11 o'clock because of the travel and the time zone change. And three games in four nights, they want to let the players get their rest. But uh, it's mandatory that they make breakfast, whether they have an official meeting or not. Mm-hmm. And for one reason or another, Tyler uh, didn't make that window of opportunity to stop in and have a little breakfast and uh, do what he's supposed to do. And it's not the first time that it's happened. And I'm sure when it did happen in the past, he was fined and he was he was told that this is unacceptable. So, uh, yes, coaching moment, teaching moment, whatever you want to call it. And uh, and it hurt the Bruins because uh, they could have used his services last night. Now, a number of people said, gee, why did his roommate drag his butt out of bed? And I guess maybe the answer to that was perhaps he tried and said, well, you know, try to get up. I'm going to take a shower. He's ready to go. He says, Tyler, get up. I'm leaving. He leaves, and Tyler goes back to sleep. Well, not to uh, not to put out uh, the conspiracy theory, but uh, I think he generally rooms with Gregory Campbell, but that didn't happen on this trip. Uh, Campbell wasn't 100%, and I think he had his own room. So he was dr- he was uh, rooming with Jordan Caron, uh-huh. who ended up taking his place. Uh-huh. <laughs> so Caron tiptoed out of the room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so, you know, you, you always want your roommate to have you back. But, uh, you know, there are circumstances where this can happen, and, uh, you know, you just hope you learn from it. Now, Andrew, good. Uh, Andy, you think a guy who's only been here a year and a couple of months, a ni- uh, a guy who's a budding superstar, you think it's normal or, or okay that he's done this more than a few times, or do you think it's alarming, disturbing? Um, it's bothersome uh, that it's happened more than one time. Uh, you hope that young players learn their lessons, and all they need is uh, is that one time where it gets your attention and, and you make the necessary changes in the way you approach your daily routine, particularly on a game day. Um, I'm going to hope that the fact that they lost a game 2-1, to one, a game that they could have won, a game that he could have been a difference, I hope that right. that really bothers him, that he let his team down. And I hope that this coaching moment, this teaching moment, uh, has the impact that it should have. Do you think his teammates, his older teammates, the veterans who know what's at stake here, are they mad at him? Are they upset with him? Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, they had a good thing going, 14-0-1. They hadn't lost in regulation. Uh, they understood that uh, that this was going to be a difficult game, a challenging game, given all the circumstances, and that they needed everybody on board and doing what they needed to do. And um, You know, you hope that he wasn't just watching the game and having a good time and uh, just laughing this off. You hope that it had a major, major impact, and I think the players that have been around for a long time delivered that message as well. Well, do you think they went up and, and went to his room? I mean, you, if you're in a meeting or breakfast and he's not there, I assume it's big news, and the buzz is, you know, Tyler uh, is in trouble. 
Would you go up there? Would you expect captains, veterans to kick in the door and, and say, get your ass out of bed, we need you? No, no, I don't think that's what the situation was. And I'm trying to explain it as best I can that, uh, you know, they have a two-and-a-half, three-hour window to stop by and, and have a mandatory bre- breakfast. Uh, you know, the, the idea of that being the most important meal of the day, and this is the routine that you should be in on a game day, that at some point you stop by, you have breakfast, you say hello to your teammates. I don't think it was an official meeting. We're going to start at 9.15. We're going to go over video. I don't think that's what it was. Mm. It was just stop by, make sure you have breakfast, sign in, make sure you stop by here. This is the routine you should be in. And I think he just never made it. He never stopped by for breakfast. And I think that's more of what it was than anything really severe. A few weeks ago, we were talking to uh, Andy Ference, and it was when the chicken and the beer in the clubhouse thing was going on. And we asked him about discipline and how the, the, the dressing room uh, with the Bruins or hockey in general is policed. And he said, he said, the great thing about this team is we have the right people in the right place saying the right thing at the right time to the people who need spoken to. So my guess is, if indeed this has happened in the past, last year, maybe part of this year, and he was, as you suspect, Brick, fined, my guess is he's already been talked to by certain leaders in that, in that, in that uh, uh, dressing room. No? Absolutely. Absolutely, and that's why he sat out last night. So it's yeah. worrisome that, that that hasn't gotten through to him, I would say. Absolutely, and I use the word bothersome. And uh, and until I hear from Tyler and, and, and have an explanation from him and uh, see how contrite he is or, or whatever adjective you want to describe, you know, uh, how, how bothered he is by the fact that he was unavailable because the coaching, uh, coaching staff and the organization decided that it was better off that he not even playing a hockey game. Right. So, uh, that's the most important reaction that I'm looking for here today, this morning on the plane, uh, when he gets back to Boston before we play on Thursday. That's what I'm most concerned about is the effect and the impact that it has on him. What time did you get in, uh, Andy, two nights, uh, yesterday morning? Well, three-hour flight from Pittsburgh. You do gain an hour. So we got to the hotel about one thirty, almost 2 o'clock. So you didn't – I mean, there are this speculation, you know, uh, if, if this were an off day, everyone would be saying – he was out on the town. He stayed out too late. <laughs> no, that no, wasn't that, possible. I can assure you that that was not the case. Right, right. All right, here is his explanation. You said you wanted to hear his explanation. He had a couple of sound bites after the game, and then he talked about the alarm situation when he was asked, how did you sleep through your alarm? Why didn't you set an alarm? I did set an alarm. Uh, I woke up to it, but uh, it wasn't Winnipeg time. Um, it was Boston time, and uh, I guess uh, I got in late last night and you know, didn't think to change it. You know, It was just a mistake, and uh, you know, got to live with it. Now, the problem with that, Andy, is he said it was Boston time, not Winnipeg time. He gains an hour. Had he set it to Boston time, he would have been up an hour early for whatever the meeting was. Yeah, and I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not going to play semantics here, but uh, I do know that when we landed, uh, you know, everybody that has a cell phone or an iPhone or whatever it is, the minute you change time zones, it's done for you automatically. Correct. Uh, there was some confusion, too, because uh, I know Johnny Busick was saying, my phone is saying 12.30 when it's supposed to be 1.30. Are we in central time? Are we in mountain time? Where are we? You know, uh, And I know there was some going on there. And they extended breakfast to 11 o'clock to accommodate guys that like to sleep a little later mm-hmm. than perhaps the older guys. So, you know, if your phone or, or whatever you do is saying, you know, I'm going to set my alarm as late as possible in order to make breakfast at, uh, you know, 10.45, and now your next thing you know is 11.45 and you miss it. You know, I mean, make up all the excuses you want, but it's a two-and-a-half window to be where you need to be and do what you're supposed to do. Hey, I have an explanation for Busick's phone. He has that 1976 bag phone he's still using. It's not the iPhone. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not his only uh, possession that's from that era. All right, yes or no, Andy? Would they have won with Tyler Sagan? Um, I said yes. It was that kind of game. 
that was it felt like that's what they were missing that spark the young legs the little 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 offense uh he you really felt his absence last night yeah and and, and there were a couple of power play instances where uh, Jack and I were talking about even though they had five or six shots on one power play you're missing you know, a finishing touch, because yeah. they certainly had their opportunities. Uh, you think about Nathan Horton at the end of the game, uh, Lucic had an open net, Krejci had a, a rebound open net, uh, Marshawn, these are all good players, guys that usually finish, but uh, Sagan has that finishing touch. And even though he hasn't played as well over the last four, five, six games uh, that he was earlier in this stretch of uh, winning streak, uh, yeah, he was missed. He was definitely missed. And that's where you really hope one out of 82 games with him out of the lineup, that it has the necessary or the desired impact. Andy, I don't know if you've read the very compelling piece, and it's a long one in the New York Times, written by John Branch about Derek Bugard. A brain go- going bad is the name of the uh, the piece. If you haven't read it, uh, I would I would uh, suggest that when you get a you know 15, 20 minutes, log on to the New York Times website and take a look at this. It is a frightening and a compelling piece about. Uh, the National Hockey League's premier. Would you say he's one of the fear- was one of the fiercest fighters in the National Hockey League? I talked to Sean Thornton. Uh, oh, I don't know. At some point earlier this year, and asked him, you know, as a guy that makes his living doing this. And and by the way, yes, I did read the article. Yeah. Um, you know, who who's a guy that not necessarily he feared, but you know, who's the toughest guy in the league? Mm. And that's the name that came to his lips almost immediately. Yeah. So most people know that he died uh, of a drug and alcohol overdose at the age of 28. I believe it was back in May. And the piece, is, since you read it, Andy, was was just chilling in terms of how they they called his parents, had his brain removed before they cremated him, shipped it to Boston, what they did with it, how they checked it out. And as they suspected, uh, Bugard had chronic traumatic encephalopathy, commonly known as CTE, a close relative of Alzheimer's disease. It's believed to be caused by repeated blows to the head. They said uh, more than 20 dead former NFL players and many boxers have CTE. And now the fourth hockey player of four examined, all fighters, were found to have it as well. So that compels the question. Is it time for the National Hockey League to ban fighting from its ranks? I'm not ready to make that, uh, make that leap, John. Um, you know, I feel bad. It's a sad story what happened to Derek Bugard, uh, as, as it is with the other three guys that, uh, you know, that have passed away recently and, and been diagnosed with, uh, with that c- condition. But, uh, you know, when you read that article, I think there are way more questions, certainly for me, as to what's going on with that kid and his life and the way it all, uh, you know, fell apart or unraveled for him. Um, I'm not making that one-to-one connection between fighting and this condition. I'm, I'm just not. I'm not convinced yet. Uh, if you give me more data and more uh, more information and, and, and really compel me to say, okay, that is a definite one-to-one correlation, then, then I would re- reconsider my position. Well, there seems to be tons of data about blows to the head, not necessarily fighting, which in, exactly. in, entails blows to the head. But well, you talk about the well, National the Football League. Is doing. The league has really taken a hard look at uh, you know, these concussions and the hits to the head and the targeting of the head and what's acceptable and, and what's the equipment look like and what are the rules to allow you to have such contact. So uh, I think the league is definitely doing their due diligence um, but it's just that fighting element that uh, that I'm not willing to accept. Well, you, other, th- other than the entertainment value, Brick, give me a compelling argument to allow fighting to remain in the game. Uh, you can do that, Brick. I was going to say, you do the best job of explaining why these fights happen. When Marchand fought two nights ago, you pointed out he's living on the edge here, and, and this is what happens, and you showed the replay, and they kind of square off and say, okay, time to go. And I'm thinking... You know, Marshan felt at that point he had to fight. I mean, he had to fight. It was it reached that point, 
and sometimes I don't get it, but but you do a nice job of explaining why they why they dropped the gloves. Yeah, in that particular instance, uh, you know, I use the phrase he slew foot Niskanen, which uh, you know that I mean that's worthy of review and taking a look at because you don't want that as part of uh, right. your contact in hockey where you hitting the guy up high and you swing your leg underneath another guy's legs from behind and take him down. I mean, that's, that's unacceptable. And you have to man up in those situations, and that's the way Marshawn plays. So he knew he had an answer for what he did. And that's, that's a fight that's, uh, that should be tolerable in a fan's eyes. And, uh, you know, if your goaltender is being run or is right on top of, uh, you know, if an opponent is right in his face inside the paint, not like uh, Ryan Miller out trying to play the puck where he's a little bit more uh, you know, fair game, but if he's in the paint like Thomas was and Vitaly comes in and initiates contact and you get a response from Gregory Campbell, John, those fights, Jerry, those fights are good fights, I think, and, and it makes that element of fear and intimidation a real piece of the sport of hockey, and it allows you in the course of a hockey game to get a little bit more time, a little bit more space, because your opponent is a little less um, courageous to come in and, you know, and oppose you when you have the puck. So, but it's killing people, yeah, Brick. It, it could be you could make the case, and they are doing it scientifically that it's going to kill people, and has already. Well, you know, you look at some of these hits to the head, where you know you can see the intent, and I know it's difficult to legislate intent, but you can see it. I mean, it's obvious where where guys are targeting the head. That's mm-hmm. the initial point of contact, and that's what you have to eliminate from the game. The size, the speed, the fitness, the rules where you can't impede anymore. You know, back in the late 80s and 90s when I was playing and my generation was playing hockey, you could, you could literally hold guys off without the puck. So you slowed the game down in terms of not allowing that great speed so now the contact is lessened when a guy can finally get to his man in order to make body contact. Is there anything... Any... That, you, your, your speed and, your, and your, your force at impact is far greater today. Do you see any compromise, Brick? Is there a way? I always say, you know, why not leave the gloves on? That might you know, lessen the blows to the head. Uh, now they leave the helmets on sometimes. Sometimes they get them off. But uh, is there a way to leave fighting but not uh, and make, make it not quite so dangerous? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, I think you're really just taking If you're going to keep fighting in the game, then it should be as is. Um, the things uh, you know, that I'm trying to emphasize is, is the nastiness and the hits from behind and, and, you know, coming from 35 feet with tremendous speed to hit a guy and not having the respect for the player. And, and if you can't make players have to man up and answer for, for, the, for their actions out there, now you're going to get more stick work, you're going to get more elbows, you're going to get, uh, you know, more cross checks. And I think it'll get nastier if, if fighting isn't, uh, isn't there as a deterrent. So your point basically, and I know it's, it's multi-layered, but by and large is that there requires some self-policing of the game for infractions that happen during the course of a game, and that's what fighting is for. Is that about right? I think you're hitting the nail on the head with that explanation. What if you allow the officials in the National Hockey League to police it and, and have more stringent penalties? For instance, in the, in the National Football League or any other sport, uh, the, the, the umpires Co- or the referees. College hockey. You could use college hockey as an example. Exactly. There is a price to pay. If you slew foot somebody, you're going to do five minutes or whatever the case may be. And if you fight, then you're going to miss three or four games. You could stop it if you wanted to. And as long as you allow the officials, like they do in every other sport, Brick, couldn't you have the officials police the game? Sure, 
Sure, and that's an argument that uh, you know is worth uh, putting out there on the table. Is is how you penalize fighting? You don't necessarily eliminate it from the game, but how do we penalize it? How severe are we going to penalize it? Uh, is it just a five minute penalty now, or do we make it even longer? Right, but also well, penalize, but also penalize the things that lead to fighting. The the stuff that really sends guys over the edge. When you said Marshan was playing on the edge for slew footing the guy, maybe if he had a much more stringent penalty for that particular act, he doesn't do it, so then he doesn't need to fight. Like anything, if you educate, uh, you will get the players to change the culture of the game. It's that simple, but it needs to be enforced. And, and that's what you're seeing right now with hits to the head. Mm. Uh, you saw that with all the stick infractions coming, in, coming out of the lockout. I mean, the, you go back to the first 25 games that every team played after the, uh, you know, after the season was missed in 04 and 05, and the parade that was going on in the penalty box for hooks and slashes and uh, you know, all kinds of stick infractions and, and interference uh, that the players are saying, what are we doing? What game are we playing? What is this sport? And it took a long time, relatively speaking, for the players to grasp the rule changes that they wanted right. to see in the game. But finally, the culture changes because the players get educated. And if they really believe that this is something that has to happen in today's NHL because of, because of the severity of head injuries, then you will eventually see it. All right, Brick, let's tie this up where we began. Tell us what the posture will be, the tone and tenor of the flight with Sagan in relationship to the rest of his guys or the next skate around? Will they, will they embrace him and say no big deal, or will he get a version of the National Hockey League's cold shoulder for a while? Well, I think he got it last night, number one. Uh, you know, the, this is not acceptable attitude. Um, and I think uh, if Sagan handles this properly, he will address his team, whether it's on the flight or at practice or morning skate on Thursday, or it was, you know, basically my bad. This will never happen again. Mm -hmm. You're going to get a real good performance from me on Thursday night because I let you guys down, and that is unacceptable in this locker room. Brick, good conversation. Appreciate it as always. Safe flight. Okay, fellas, thanks. Andy Brickley with Dennison Callahan, sponsored by Norfolk Power Equipment and Kubota Tractor. Visit Norfolk Power today to enjoy money-saving year-end Kubota deal days. Check out NorfolkPower.com for more. Andy joined us on the AT&T hotline. Get it faster with 4G, AT&T, rethink possible. All right. You're such a soccer mom. I can't believe it. Ticket, yeah, it's you only killing people. You want them wearing skirts. It's only killing people. You want, these, you want them putting lipstick on and makeup on and, and playing like powder puff hockey? When we come back, I'm going to read about the dissection of Derek Bugard's brain oh, and what yeah. they and found. Anecdotal evidence, that's yeah. all it is.